Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Let me ask you a question. How does your favorite song make you feel? Music affects and changes people's lives. It invokes memories. The first gig you went to, the first record you bought, that song from your school days, or the song you danced to at your wedding, or even your first kiss. It gets you through the worst times and the best of times. Music has always played an important part in my life. First and foremost, I'm a music fan but I've been lucky enough to have interviewed some of the biggest names in music, combining my career with my passion. Each week, I chat to some of my favourite artists to talk about the tracks of their lives and more. I'm Kylie Olsen, and this is Music and Me. He's a modern-day blues hero, and at the tender age of 12 was discovered by blues legend B.B. King. Since then, he's worked with pretty much every heavyweight musician, from Eric Clapton to Greg Orman. Now, one of the things that I love most about Joe is the boy sure isn't work shy. He's a complete tour dog who's always on the road getting his music out to the people who are clearly chomping at the bit to hear it. He's released 12 solo albums, and that's not including the various collaborations he's done with artists like Beth Hart and his side project with Black Country Communion. A self-confessed geek, guitar collector, and one of the greatest guitarists of our generation. I caught up with Joe Bonamassa, or Smoking Joe as BB used to call him, to chat about his musical passions and if and when he could ever imagine himself retiring. You're going to be surprised by his answer. So, Joe, what is the one song that reminds you of home? Well, I would say the, there's two, actually. 
um, on my on where I grew up. My mother used to play "Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow." She would actually play the entire Rumors album um, when she cleaned the house on Saturdays, and that was required listening. And it first started playing on vinyl, and then when she got the CD, well, she then she graduated graduated to a cassette, and then finally a CD. And that reminds me of, of Saturdays at Home when I was a kid, is that record, Fleetwood Mac Rumors. And my father would also play records as well. Um, but his was a little bit more, his taste was a little more eclectic. He would play Led Zeppelin. He would play, you know, Jethro Tull. He would play Dan Fogelberg, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So, I mean, the, the, it's the type of music. It's that kind of mid-'70s mm-hmm popular, you know, like, you know, the classics. That That's what reminds me of my parents. And so the, the Fleetwood Mac stuff, when you heard the Lindsay Buckingham parts on guitar, did you, did you think he was good? Was there anything you thought, oh, actually, I might like to do this? I mean, how old were you at the time? Oh, I was probably six or seven. I always thought Mick Fleetwood had a great shuffle. Like uh, he was a great shuffle drummer, and for many years, like like a lot of children of the '70s and '80s, we were we were exposed to uh, the, that classic Rumors era Fleetwood Mac. Little did I know there was a guy named Peter Green. Little mm-hmm. did I know there was a song called Oh Well. And then when I first heard that, I was like, Wow, you know, these guys were actually a blues band. And I started to realize where Mick got all his his chops. You know, he 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 was a blues drummer. And even that song, Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow, is one of the, one of the great rock shuffle, you know, it's like a Texas shuffle, yeah. you know? And you don't realize it because it was such a big pop hit, but, you know, see, blues does translate to pop music sometimes. Well, it's rare, but it does. Yeah. No, they were a completely different band, weren't they, when Peter Green was in them? Which, I, it, like you say, you didn't realize that, first of all, and then when you dug a, dig a little bit deeper with the band, then you realize this whole, realize this whole Peter Green era. And you're like, how can the two even connect? But... That's it, isn't it? I suppose it's the Mick Fleetwood shuffle. Yeah, that and, you know, the fact that they were looking, they, pretty much by the mid-70s, you know, when Peter left the band, they were kind of like looking for something or somebody to kind of give them a, let's say, a B12 shot, and they found, you know, Buckingham and, you know, Stevie Nicks, and, you know, the rest is history. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like two different bands. Yeah. So can you remember the first track that you bought first track I remember the first album I bought yeah it was I had some money stashed away from my birthday and my dad took me to Camelot Music in the Sanger Town Mall in upstate New York and I bought two records I bought B.B. King Live at the Regal and I bought Steve Morris the introduction record Um, for no other reason that Steve Morris had a great looking old Telecaster on the cover and my father said he was a really fast guitar player and so I listened to that, and I listened to B.B. King, and it was like two totally different, um, uh, uh, two totally different albums. But that's what I—that was the first uh, album I bought. You know, they, they were seven ninety-nine each. I remember that in nineteen eighty-four. And what was your favorite B.B. King track off of that album? How blue can you get? It's just devastatingly good. I mean, it's it's a classic. Um, that whole album is a classic, and it sounds like it was recorded with one mic because the band gets louder when BB steps away from the vocal mic, and then the band gets you know quieter when he steps towards the vocal yeah. mic. Yeah, and again, it proves you don't need a 
a million dollars worth of recording equipment to to make a great album. It's just you got you need a great band and a great singer. You then went on to work with BB King when you were nine or something. He became your mentor. Yes. When you were that age, you'd listen to him on the record. You then got to work with him as a kid. Were you starstruck, or, or did you just take it all in your stride? Well, you know, BB King was a very intimidating guy. I mean, he was this larger-than-life persona. Um, he was a kind, gentle soul and super nice. I met him when I was twelve. I just turned twelve, and. He was nice enough to give me advice, a stage. Um, he had me up on stage. You know, I mean, like he would let me open up for him. He'd have me up on stage. And the most valuable thing I ever took from BB King was was how he ran his business and how he ran his his band. You know, it was they were professionals. They took the job seriously. They were thankful to be there, but they were also, you know, a really seriously good working blues band and you know it was always fans first and your best foot forward and you gave a hundred percent or whatever percent you had and that's really what I took from him you know and he'd always say you know you have to watch all aspects of 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 your life you have to make sure everything is in moderation you have to watch your money you have to watch you know and he didn't have to tell me this he learned that you know, uh, 60 years on the road, you know, but he was very generous with his time and his advice. And he always, always was, was happy, um, to, to share that. And a uh, little known fact, BB King, and he was 80 years old at the time, showed me how to drag a song from iTunes onto an iPod. <laughs> Cause I couldn't do it. He, he was really tech savvy. He, he goes, no, you just got to click. And then he, he showed me, he was like, watch, click. And then he dragged. And he dragged, he dragged some Louis Armstrong song to his own iPod. And that's how I learned. Can you remember what the song was? Oh, it was, it was he, he showed me on his computer. So it was some like Louis Armstrong. He was really into Louis Armstrong and, and a lot of the, you know, he grew up with those guys. Yeah. I mean, he was contemporaries with a lot yeah. of them. You know, he loved Frank Sinatra. He loved, you know, all, you know, all the, obviously all the classics, and you know, he and his his reverence for the blues. I mean, he loved, you know, Lonnie Johnson and Robert Johnson, and you're going, wow, you're an icon yourself. But he was still, a, he was fan first, you know, which tells you, you know, we're all fans to start with, and and somehow we get roped into this business, and, and you can't get out. <laughs> And here you are, however many years later. Right, you forget why you started, you know. Yeah. But that's that's true. Truth be told, you know, like everybody starts off as a fan, and everybody starts off in their little bedroom yeah. with a piano or a drum or something. So, what was the track that made you go, okay, I want to play the guitar? Eric Clapton, further on up the road from his live album, I think he put out in the mid mid seventies. It's the one, Eric Clapton, just one night. It's oh. him. It's him with his black Stratocaster, and he's on a empty theater stage um and i think george terry was in the band and um it was kind of like that that mid-70s era eric clapton and i heard him do like a really up version of further on up the road and i was like wow you can do that with a guitar and sing and people clap and you can have a cool guitar like that i'm soul you know it wasn't as easy as i thought but but still is but no but seriously it was that's what made me want to play. You're laughing pretty, baby Pretty, baby, you're 
I mean, everyone has to work really hard, obviously, to get to where you are. But was it something that you, that, that was just natural? Because I was, you know, I was talking about Link Ray. He apparently said that he it was really hard for him to learn. It wasn't something that came naturally. Well, you know, the thing is, you know, I always said, like, and everybody has their own, like, situation. Mm. And, you know, some people, they pick up the instrument and it's, like, amazing from the downbeat. Um me, I always said I was 90% work ethic, 10% natural, natural talent. Um, it didn't come easy, but once I got my head around it and put the work into it, then it, then it kind of started to get some traction. Um, you know, the thing about it is every day is an adventure. Like, we're sitting here, you know, at the Hammersmith Odeon, um, and, and I'm about to play in about an hour and a half. And truth be told, I don't until you make your first mistake of the night, and there always is one. Mm. You don't know how your night's going to go, you know. And that's that to me has been one of those things where um, that's what makes live playing so interesting. You can always redeem yourself if you're bad one night. You can always well tonight's the last show of of what we're doing here, but um, you can always redeem yourself tomorrow. And you know you're only as good as your last show, and and hopefully this won't be so bad tonight. It won't be. Don't it won't worry. Be so bad, you know. Well, you 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 would be amazed at the mental conversation that I have with myself during a gig. Well, absolutely. Every gig, you do have a mental conversation, or is it just on the Black Country Communion stuff? No, I mean every gig. I mean there there are there are times when you can't like there are times I sit up there and I go I cannot believe I'm playing this bad, and then I'll listen I'll listen back and it wasn't as bad as I thought, you know. And the nights that you think were kind of kind of loose and weird, the fans will go, wow, that was amazing. The nights you think you're doing great and you're hitting the mark and everything is like on firing on all cylinders, people go, eh, it's okay. And it's like, there's, there's a lot of, every musician has a mental conversation yeah. with themselves. And it's not all look at me, well maybe there's maybe one member of our band that, that, that adulation is, more important to um, <laughs> who's that I don't know I, I remember, the lineup is escaping my mind this, this, this evening um, no, they, 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 there's you know I'm always trying to see how the crowd's enjoying it you know if they're into it then then you know then our, you, you feed off that basically yeah you feed off of that you know if they're not into it you know doesn't mean they're not enjoying the show they're just not lively then it's like okay you gotta work for them you know and, it, and it's there's a there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in my mind. I, I, I hate to say it. This is Kylie Olsen and you're listening to Music and Me. Coming up, we're going to be continuing my conversation and find out what this is all about. Like, I, I don't want to die on the road. I just, I just, I don't want to, you know, do it to the very last. I, I just, I, I can't get my head around that. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. 
Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. So what's what's next for Backcountry Communion then? So you've just put the album out. You've done two dates in the UK now. Are you going to tour in America or anywhere else? Um, I don't know what our plans are. I mean, everybody's busy this year. Um, I'd like to do some more shows after after this experience. I mean, like we 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 all got together and said, "Listen, here's after our experience six and a half years ago, or how long, however long it was, um, we decided that instead of committing to forty shows, let's try two. And if we like, if we love each other at the end of two, then it's it's a lot easier to, to, to do two than it is to do 40. But I think after all this now, you know, and the fact that, you know, we do have, uh, we do have this, you know, it, it's a great band when it all comes together. Mm-hmm. Then I think everybody's going to collectively want to like, you know, figure out a block of time and, and do something. I mean, I, I don't know if it's going to be 40 shows, 10. I don't know if it's going to be. Um, I don't know if it's going to be in America or here in Europe. I mean, it just depends. And you've got a new album with Beth Hart coming out as well, Black Coffee. I do. It seems like we've done that record so long ago, it doesn't seem new to me anymore. We we did it in August of 2016. Oh, my God. Why has it taken so long to release it? I don't know. I really don't know. It's, It's We did, we recorded the record August of 2016. And... There was a few little bits and bobs we had to add to it, but um, it's coming out finally. So it doesn't feel new to me. It feels like we did this a, a year ago or more. Well, it should. But um, anyway, uh, it's it's a really good record, and I think Beth really sang great on this one. I mean, she she dug deep, and she did Black Coffee in the proper key, which we were talking previous to this interview. That was... My idea to do that song was to do it in the Steve Marriott key, mm. and the, and and I wasn't I wasn't I didn't mince words when when the idea of taking the key down. Yeah, I was like, you got to do it in G. You're the only human being that can do it in G, and she did, and she did she did it fantastically, you know. And that's an event. Why did you choose to name the album after that song? I mean, are you a massive Humble Pie fan? Big Humble Pie fan. Um, I love I loved Steve Marriott. He's one of the best ever. And um, Kevin came up with the other one. We call it Black Coffee. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's, a cool, it's a cool cover of the album. It's actually, um, it's actually derivative of an old vintage Ike and Tina Turner poster that I found. Who is it? And, um, you know, because when they, when they pitch the covers and I'm like, no, 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 this doesn't look good, this doesn't look good. So finally you have to take matters in your own hands. So I just took a picture of this old poster I found 
in Clarksdale, Mississippi at, at an old guitar shop when I was down there filming this thing about the crossroads. And I went, of course, I went shopping for junk that I don't need. But I found this old Ike and Tina Turner poster, and I have it framed, and it's on my wall. I just took a photo of that, and we kind of did like a little little take on that. So it's cool. Talking of the things that you like collecting, obviously some of that stuff is guitars, and you've yeah. got memorabilia from, uh, you know, signs, etc. cetera. Right. Um, how many guitars do you own now? I believe somewhere around 350, 360 and the, and the amps? Um, about 350, 360. I, I have a lot of stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm not addicted to many things. I'm addicted to Diet Coke. And unfortunately, I'm addicted to this guitar junk. And, you know, I have to figure out an exit strategy because the houses are going to, like, the house is going to get overwhelmed with, with this stuff. I like preserving history. And I actually like, I actually like being surrounded by it, mm-hmm. you know, and thank God. I can do that, but truth be told, I'm like, what are you gonna do with all this stuff? One day, I, so so I have to figure it out. I'm gonna give it all to charity or something. Somebody else sort it out. But I do have a list. I have pictures in a list if you'd like to see them all. <laughs> it's like inventory. They say they call it inventory. I'm not a store. Yeah, well, you are. I'm a friend. That not many record stores or uh, guitar shops have that many guitars. I don't think. No, not many. No. Yeah, that. Well, I just get a cash register to sell them right out of the house yeah. and, and open up for a couple hours a day. But do you find people come to you because they know you have this amazing collection? So it'll be like, call Joe. He'll uh, he'll probably have one of those. Or because I know that when I was speaking to Geddy Lee, he said that you'd um, you didn't you you'd pulled him into this this world as well. Yeah, well, Get- Getty's been getting into it. Like he's been buying like a lot of bases and custom color stuff, and. I, I, I helped him out um, on a Les Paul guitar. And um, people do come to me because they know that I, I do have a lot of stuff. And I've been around it my whole life. My dad was a guitar dealer. Mm. And I, I just, I still have fun with it. And like anything else, if I, if I don't have fun with it, then, then I'll just stop. I just have this, you know, I won't do anything out of just sheer obligation because mm-hmm. I, I, I can't fake enthusiasm. Yeah. So, have you had any? Are there any funny stories of people that you've um, dealing guitars with? I, you know, I mean, I've bought, I've bought guitars. I mean, my guitar ventures. I mean, I've bought guitars from little mom and pop shops. I've even purchased guitars from from stage and screen actor Steven Seagal. Um, you know, the guitar collecting thing. You'd be really surprised who's into it and who's yeah. not. You know, there, there, there are a lot of guitar collectors, you know, um, and musicians out there that, that, quite frankly, you know, you wouldn't expect that are actors and businessmen and stuff like that. But, um, you know, going to Steven's house and buying those amps that day, that was, that was, a, real, that was a real trip. You know, he's a super nice guy, and, and he's got a lot, of, a lot of guitars. But, you know, show up at Steven Seagal's house with a, with a truck, you know, going up. I'm going to buy an amplifier from, from Steven. And, like, it's, it was surreal. It was like surreal, and that was probably one of the best guitar safaris ever. Um, you know, we've we've had them where we've showed up in really bad neighborhoods and hostile environments, and shop keeps yelling at me. And it's it's I love that kind of thing. You know, it's a great story. We've never been kicked out of a store yet, not yet. But okay, that's your mission for this year then. I'm a tough negotiator. I, I don't, I, you know, because I grew up in I grew up in a shop. 
And I know guitar shops have the reputation for being rude and obnoxious. Mm. And so if I get rude and obnoxious, I know I, I give it back, you know. Yeah. But that's, that's part of the beauty. So you've worked with so many artists before. Um, is there anyone left that you would like to work with that you haven't? I, I would never turn down the opportunity to play guitar with Paul Rogers, which I have. Mm-hmm. And I would never turn down the opportunity to play guitar with Jeff Beck, which I have not. And he would be a guy on my list. Because right, okay. um, that guy is seriously the best in the world. And, and uh, I've met him, I've done shows with him, but I've never played with him. And, and Jeff Beck would be top of the list. And what song would you want to play with him? Oh, God. I'd like to get him to play Blues Deluxe, because I covered that years ago. And Blues Deluxe is nothing but a couple of verses, let's just say, borrowed from a Buddy Guy song. And then it's, it's the second verse is, I think, the second verse of Stone Crazy. And the first verse is, um, I think, Gambler's Blues. And it's just kind of a hodgepodge, you know, of just verses. But, you know, that Truth album really shaped my, my path. I mean, that's why I wanted to be a British blues guitar player. And I'd love to see him just his modern take on that song. Yeah. I'd even offer to sing it for him. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I'd, I'd sing it quickly so he could solo, you know? Like, <laughs> get me out of there, get me out of there. You know? I'll rush it. Well, we like to rock and we like to roll. And the most old baby, we like to have a ball. Oh my God, Neil O'Brien, once again, the best dressed man in London. What are you doing, man? Congrats. I like the stripes. Happy New Year. Good to see you, my friend. Love to see you. Have a seat. We're just finishing the interview. Yeah, literally, just two more questions. Oh, Hi, Kylie. I'm Kylie. Hi, nice to meet you. I think you guys knew each other. I think we have met, actually, yes. Look at those shoes, impeccably shine. Do you like them? The socks matching. I mean, like this. <laughs> I love Kiss it. Me every time. You've got to show respect for your artist. You've got to dress. Well, you certainly artist. are showing respect. I'm, He's I'm, you. You can. I mean, look at yours compared to that. I was pretty dressed, like a funeral. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what Johnny Cash used to say, wasn't it? So they would say, "Oh, you look like you're going to a funeral." Just before he went on, he was like, "Well, maybe I am." Maybe yeah. that's, that's what yeah. I said last. That's what I said <laughs> in Wolverhampton. Uh, uh, Mike goes, "You're dressing all in black." I go, "I go, be prepared to mourn." You know? <laughs> I don't know how this show's going to turn it, out. Stop it, stop it. So, um, okay, can you, ever, can you ever imagine yourself slowing down? Yes, I can. I have a retirement date, and I know the people that don't like me are going to rejoice when I say this, that it all ends November 8th, 2039. Where? It'll probably be in my hometown if it still exists. If um, it still exists, why? <laughs> because Utica, New York, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's been... It's been, yeah, it's being torn down. Right. Anyway, it, 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 November 8th, 2039 will be the 50th anniversary of my first professional paying gig. I'll be 62 years old, and I figure 50 years in one business, I'm done. And I'll be young enough to like sell off the guitar collection and walk away and not do it. And I'll be happy to not do it. Um, you know, it's one of those things where... I want to put my energy into other things, like is like traveling. You know, you go wait a minute. You do, you travel all the time. Like you don't see I, I don't see anything. I I I have because I have to be on for the shows. I have a certain sleep schedule. You have to keep. You have to take care of yourself. I don't have the time to do the touristy mm-hmm. things or the energy. I want to actually go see the world. You know that I've supposedly seen. You know I want a second act. You know I want to do something other than just guitar. 
you know, I mean, I think 50 years professional is enough. And I already told my manager, Roy, he's cool with it. I've let my band know. They have a 22 year notice. <laughs> I've been booking into 2041. I mean, yeah. Oh, well, that's going to cause a few problems. Well, you, you can't cancel, cancel the last couple of gigs. <laughs> but you know, no, 50 years in one one profession yeah. is is to me a very um, that's enough. I'm not going to be like, I won't do it. I won't. I won't. I won't go out on the road. I won't do it. Like I, I don't want to die on the road. I just. I just. I don't want to. You know, do it to the very last, and 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 the, the, I just I, I can't get my head around that. You know, I. Is it fifty years is a good amount, definitely. So there's no guarantees I can last fifty years. You know what I mean? There's there's no guarantees that my you know people will still come and see me twenty two years from now. So I'm 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 anxious to see if we can get to there. But I, but but it will there will be a there will be a fiftieth anniversary concert, and I'm going to walk away. I'll put it in the diary. I mean, even if it's in a pub with only like five people, I'll be there. Don't worry. Okay. Well, now we have six people. Yeah. At least exactly. we got a, we got one pre-sale. <laughs> so I'm, not yeah, not to uh, end on a morbid one, but what song would you like played at your funeral? Um, I think I think the sound of silence. I think it'd be great. I like the irony, and and I already, on my tombstone, here lies Joe Bonamassa. The bullshit has finally ended. That's it. That's it. That's how you go out, you know? I love you. You're great. Thank you. Thank you, Kylie. Thanks for having me. And touch the sound of silence. Well, if you're a fan of music and me, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it, whether it be Acast or iTunes. And I'd love for you to leave some comments, whether they're good or bad. Give me some feedback. I'm always open to suggestions. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Kylie Olsen. Music and Me is produced by the Podcast Works and Onesome Media. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.